Right. Thank you for coming on board our newsletter. Uh, let's start with the first question. Tell us a bit about your background. Um, well, I had all my formal education in, in Lagos, Nigeria. I went to high school, Queen's College, and then University, University of Lagos there. And after that, then spent a bit of time in the UK um, doing my um, professional accountancy exams. I worked with um, the firm of what was Coopers and Libran at the time, now part of PwC. Spent five years and qualified as an accountant. Then went back to Nigeria and after a short stint, went off to do my MBA at Harvard Business School. So sort of had that, you know, um, you know, zigzag of moving from the Nigeria out and back again. But I guess for me, Nigeria has always been home. Right. And then um, tell us of your journey as a healthcare professional on the African continent. So yeah, my journey started actually after post-business school. Um, or, or no, my journey started just before business school. Um, I had made the decision to, I guess, pivot, as we say these days, to pivot from what was uh, accounting and financial services into a healthcare career. And, and business school was a very deliberate way of also sort of guiding that sort of uh, change. Um, I made the change really because my parents had both, um, after an illustrious career in academia, had then started a private healthcare company uh, called Hygieia, which had set up its first hospital, Lagoon Hospital in Lagos. And I was very keen uh, to come on board with them to, to see what I could do in terms of helping them grow the business. And particularly because health insurance was just taking shape and it was an area that I was particularly interested in. Um, so I spent time while I was at business school really researching health insurance in the US and particularly the HMO type model. And in fact, one of the first things I did was to bring uh, an HMO, a US HMO back to us in Nigeria to help us putting together our systems and our protocols. And then from there, uh, joining straight after business school, I then spent, um, I think all told now about 17 years in the company, in Hygieia, uh, in various uh, roles, you know, um, finance, strategy, uh, operations, <laughs> and then eventually CEO, and then chairing the board as well. And in that time, really grew the business and, um, you know, like we said, continue to grow the hospitals and the, the clinics. We continue to expand as well as set up the health insurance scheme, uh, which was very much supported by the, the, the government-backed uh, national health insurance scheme. Uh, and therefore, we were able to provide health insurance to government employees, to uh, private sector workers, and I guess perhaps one of the jewels in our crown was also being able to put together what we call a community insurance scheme, which was for the, um, what we call the, the, um, uh, the, um, the, for the urban and rural poor 
um, that was the, a scheme that was subsidized uh, by funding which we were able to get internationally, but allowed you know it it allowed um, you know uh, populations in the communities and in the rural communities to also uh, get access to care. So I guess that was um, from Hygiea, I then moved on. I did uh, healthcare private equity for a couple of years, looked at investing in the healthcare landscape across Africa, particularly across West Africa, focusing very much on Nigeria and Ghana. And then more recently, I have then set up Health Markets Africa, which is um, my advisory uh, and investment business, which still looks very much at how to help to build healthcare companies and healthcare markets, you know, in Africa. So how many years would you say you've spent uh, as a healthcare professional on the, on the African continent altogether? Oh, well, all, all told, I'll say I've done, um, <clears throat> I've done 21 years now, almost 22. Uh, and maybe just give us a bit of wisdom of your, your vision for this space. Uh, for, the, for the healthcare healthcare sector, right? I mean, there must be challenges currently. But what's your vision um, and how those challenges might be met? I mean, certainly, yes. Healthcare in Africa is still extremely challenged, and I think we've seen that challenge, particularly this year with COVID nineteen, uh, with the fact that you know we really just didn't have the infrastructure or the systems, um, and I guess fortunately, Africa wasn't hit very hard. Uh, but, you know, in, in trying to put together a response, um, it was clear that, you know, we were going to be extremely resource constrained. So I guess the key issue still, and I guess the area that I have worked particularly hard on is access to capital for healthcare uh, um, um, organizations, be it public or private, you know, um, but really the fact is more funding needs to go into healthcare. Uh, both what I'll call demand side funding in terms of really being able to push out health insurance schemes and, and, and empower the population really to have, you know, access to care, as well as supply side funding, you know, building more infrastructure, training more manpower and so on. So there's still a lot to do, to be honest, because if you think about, you know, whether anywhere in the supply chain, as it were, uh, or healthcare, there's still, you know, quite a lot to do. But the flip side of it, of course, is one, the fact that the impact on the African population will be significant. For us to have a healthier population will, will certainly be key to us also being able to uh, really acquire more wealth. Um, but secondly, also will be, I mean, just purely, you know, healthcare is one area in most parts of the developing world that creates jobs and creates, you know, um, you know, again, uh, food, puts food on the table, puts an income stream for a lot of people. And that's something as well that, you know, Africa is currently missing out on and we hope we develop. Great. The next question, um, who did you most admire growing up? <laughs> I think for me, that was my older brother who was, um, well, much older than me, I wouldn't say how much, <laughs> but was an, is an accountant. And I remember when I was, um, you know, when he was, he was already, uh, a, you know, qualified accountant, he used to come and pick me up and take me to school. And I just used to think about, gosh, 
you know, being an accountant means being so accomplished and being, you know, um, so structured and 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 also wealthy. <laughs> he looked very wealthy to me back then. <laughs> he still does. Um, so yeah. So I guess I followed in his footsteps really into accountancy because I I did think that this was it was a worthy career. And plus, of course, I did have a head and I did really like Max. So um, it was also you know the fact that he had done it and it was a skill that I felt I could you know I could use it was great. Thanks. The next question. Um, you've had a hugely successful career. What do you consider your greatest achievement to date? Um, I think it would be really in, in opening up, as I said, you know, access to capital. You know, um, certainly when I joined in 1999, uh, in fact, you know, we did one of the first deals at Hygieia with, uh, with one of the DFIs in, in terms of raising capital for healthcare. It was a really tiny deal at the time. I think it was maybe half a million dollars or something, but it was the first one. And it was such a major um, uh, issue that you know, has really helped to open the floodgates of you know, capital, particularly equity and private equity as well into healthcare. Um, I think now the numbers are something like, I believe, $300 million, if not more, has gone into private equity over the last couple of years. Uh, has gone, so, so that just shows that really from, you know, little acorns, we've been able mm -hmm. to really grow that. And, and particularly when I think about the amount of capital I've been able to raise, my, you know, um, I've been involved in deals that have been both, again, public public um, money as well as private money, I would say probably easily about, a, you know, close to $100 million. Um, and so for a sector like healthcare, that's been hugely important and I hope has, has added and brought the impact, you know, that it's needed in terms of giving uh, care to many more people. Next question. Uh, what advice would you give to women that work in and want to progress in male-dominated sectors? Just th three top tips. Mm, I was thinking about that, that and I think, <clears throat> If I think about it from experience and maybe also from advice that I received in my career, I would say, I think first and foremost is the fact that we have to make sure all the time that we come to our, our work, to our jobs, to you know, wherever we are placed from with a position of knowledge, of very strong knowledge. And sometimes we almost have to have more knowledge <laughs> than the men around us. So, you know, as women, we don't want to be seen as, you know, uh, not being uh, good enough or not being, you know, not being as knowledgeable or as intelligent. So we, we, we sometimes therefore have to really uh, put even more work in or put more time in, in ensuring that, you know, we, uh, we're really up to date with our knowledge. Um, I think perhaps along those lines too is putting in the time um, and sometimes that also means some trade-offs because of course women have traditionally, although these days, obviously the roles are now getting more sort of balanced, but for a long time, and especially when I was starting off, um, uh, whilst yes, I, I've, had, I've had a hugely supportive husband, but still, you know, uh, women are always expected to also play a very significant, you know, role in the home. And that sometimes can mean, you know, um, you know, thinking about having to sort of 
uh, leave work slightly earlier, perhaps than your male colleagues, or obviously taking time off when the kids are ill, or even taking maternity leave and so on. So we have to make it up. I have to put it that way, that I think it's very important that you do put in your time. And even if you have to make it up, especially now that there's much more flexibility in the workplace, it's important to do so. And then maybe the third thing I'll say is networking. I think men are really, really good at that. There's the, there's the boys club, <laughs> there's the watering holes, you know, and so on that, you know, where men spend time, you know, developing relationships amongst each other. And I think it's really critical. And I think women have, have learned that now, uh, but we, we realize that we have to be much more deliberate about it. Um, and that may mean networking with other women, but obviously also with men, you know, and making sure that, you know, you're building the right relationships for your career. Great. Next question, um, how do you deal with achieving your work-life balance? Okay, so I think I already alluded to that, that, you know, with work-life balance, it may mean um, sometimes, I, I think it's two things. First of all, it's having a great support system, you know, um, be it your partner, be it anybody else in your family, be it, uh, you know, friends, community of, you know, sometimes parents at the school gate, or it can even be hired, you know, hired help if necessary as well. But it's important to have a support network. It's important to have help in the home so that that way, you know, we as, you know, we as women can feel more, um, not just supported, but feel sort of more com comfortable and confident to be able to spend the time we need to spend and give the time we need to spend in the workplace. So I think building that up is, is, is crucial. Um, in addition to that, I would say, um, you know, in addition to sort of having a good um, support network, as I've said, it's really also trying to, you know, figure out where there is flexibility and, and how to sort of figure out how to use the time wisely. Um, sometimes we have to be a bit more organized. We have to, um, you know, be ready to do a bit more in terms of multitasking, to, to be able to multitask um, successfully, which we tend to need for that work-life balance, you know, we have to, again, have to be a bit more organized. I mean, I know that my my family tease me about the fact that I I, I, I rule by, spread, by spreadsheets. <laughs> you know, I've had to have spreadsheets for almost everything as a way of really being organized, you know, and being able to sort of balance work and, you know, and the home and life at the same time. And then um, what do you enjoy doing outside work? Um, well, I mean, in pre-corona times, love to travel. So, you know, loved holidays. So, we, you know, we, we, we were very good with holidays, my husband and the kids. So we would, we would try and take holidays two, three times um, a year. Uh, in addition, at the weekends, you know, we did you know, a few different things. Um, I'm not especially sporty in terms of sports, but I love watching sports. So my weekends, you could find me certainly watching, <laughs> believe it or not, the football matches along with the guys <laughs> or basketball. But in addition to that, also, I belong to YPO, which I mean, is the Young Presidents Organization, which again, sounds very much like a, a work related uh, network, but it's actually a network that helps to think about, you know, it's quite well-rounded and helps us to think about building interests outside of work and also in terms of continuing with learning 
and you know education lifelong learning so through that i've been able to join different networks i've been able to to join wine networks you know um i've been able to join music networks and 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 really been able to sort of pursue you know some of the areas that i i enjoy through that and the last question um how do you manage your own finances um, that is your savings and investments so that's interesting <laughs> I think I've been, you know, shall I say old school? So I've done the traditional stuff of um, real estate. I think that would, I would say that's probably been my biggest investment. I've invested in real estate over the years and I've rolled from one, one project to another. And each time I've seen the sort of return that um, has made me feel that it's been a good asset class and I've kept going. Um, in addition to that, I mean, it's interesting. I, I did dabble a little bit in what I'll call the stock markets, um, particularly the Nigerian stock markets, but then the markets were, you know, became or have been quite illiquid. So it's been a bit difficult to sort of see that through. Um, and so I would say in the last few years, I've done a bit more angel investing. So as a way of, um, uh, and, and, and yes, I mean, obviously, I'm aware of the risks of angel investing and, and, and you have to sort of think about how you spread your portfolio and so on, because obviously the, um, you know, the rates of success um, would be a lot less than perhaps in, in the public markets. But I've enjoyed that as well, because, you know, I've been able to um, put my money, see my money work, also see it, you know, support people. You know, I, I do like to sort of see, uh, you know, um, not just not just the sort of cold investment, but I also like to sort of think about the, you know, the warm part of it uh, and dealing with people and seeing, you know, how they are also able to you know, deploy the capital and make it work. So those are, I would say those are probably the two areas that I've, I've been most um, savvy in. Um, in between, yes, I've done a little bit of um, uh, the usual money, you know, money markets, you know, sort of savings, but nothing, nothing very sexy. <laughs> Great. Well, thank 